One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and, that's really cool, uh, to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your neighbors or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, ah, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, this passage actually has been on my brain probably for two or three months. Uh, It just has come back into my mind time after time after time, particularly the center part of the passage. Uh, In fact, it's this passage that really formed the basis, formed the door to go into this sermon series on the kingdom of God. And we talked last week about how Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. Jesus embodied the kingdom of God. He actually is the kingdom. He is the king. And he did that. He said, hey, the time is fulfilled right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Repent and believe the good news. And we talked about how we need to repent. And repentance is not only about turning from our sin, but it is also changing our mind so that what we think and how we think more accurately reflects the word of God, the kingdom of God, Jesus as the king. And so repentance is much more than just saying, God, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, I sinned, I'm going to go this direction. It's also us recognizing where our thinking has been messed up by the world, where our thinking has been messed up by uh, the, the way that we've been trained, the way that we've been taught. It's been messed up in some respects by our culture. Uh, it's been messed up by our language. I mean, all these things have influenced the way we think. And in some cases, it, they have influenced the way we think in good ways, healthy ways that are consistent with the Word of God. But in many cases, they have influenced us in ways that are not consistent with the Word of God, and where we discover they're not consistent, then we need to repent. We need to change our minds, turn away from old thought patterns, and turn into new thought patterns. And that's a bit of the foundation that we laid. Uh, Now, many times when people approach this passage, there's a lot of misunderstandings around this passage, and so it's why I wanted to start out by reading the entire passage. And so we're going to walk through this a little bit because this passage is about the kingdom of God. And in this passage, it is taking us a step further down that encounter with the kingdom of God that we need to have if we are going to live our lives as God wants us to live our lives in Jesus Christ. If we are to live our lives as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, uh, we need to understand what God is saying to us throughout this whole passage. Now, in this passage, Jesus does, as he often does, he's invited to one of the Pharisees, one of the leaders of the Pharisees. He says, hey, come on, uh, have lunch with me, have a meal with me, uh, come and hang out. And oftentimes, they'll, they'll have a number of people that they bring along 
uh, to, who want to sit down with Jesus, want to encounter Jesus. And that's the case in this case. And so they're sitting there, and this man comes in uh, who, was, uh, uh, who had dropsy, as it says here in verse 2, has dropsy, and it's a Sabbath day, and Jesus says, hey, is it, is it lawful for me to heal this guy? And nobody says anything. Uh, and then he goes on to heal the guy and says, hey, it's not, there's nothing wrong with doing good on the Sabbath day. This sets the context, though, that we're talking about the kingdom for this entire passage. Because Jesus, as he went around proclaiming the kingdom, he did it in two ways. He did it through his words, but he also did it through his deeds. So when Jesus was healing the sick, when he was casting out demons, when he was performing miracles, those were visible indicators of the presence of God's loving rulership, which is what the kingdom is. It's God's rulership coming into this world and taking control and, and showing itself forth, in, in, particularly in and through Jesus, but even today, God manifests his kingdom in the same way. And so it sets us in this course here, we're dealing with the kingdom here. The king is here, the king is healing, the king is active, the king is moving, the king is inviting people to respond, and this all is an invitation, and it's an invitation into the kingdom. And then Jesus goes on, and from that, uh, you know, he noticed that some of the people kind of had a bit of a, a, a arrogant attitude. I mean, some people, the fact that people didn't even respond to this guy who had dropsy, who needed healing, didn't even affirm that he could be healed on a Sabbath day, it was indicative of their attitudes. They were coming into this, making themselves the judge over what Jesus was doing. They were coming in, making themselves the higher authority over Jesus. And that's, that's the attitude behind this. And so Jesus then gives this parable that challenges their arrogance. It challenges their prideful attitude. And basically, the parable says, take the lowest seat and be brought up rather than taking the highest seat and being brought down. In other words, humble yourself and you'll be exalted. But if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humble. Now, you can imagine some of the people there squirming because they would have understood they're talking to him. They're, Jesus was talking to them. He was challenging them. He was challenging their attitudes and he's also saying, if you want to engage in the kingdom, if you really want to experience this active ruling of Jesus, you can't make yourself the judge. You can't put yourself up, you need to put yourself low. You can't pretend that you are the teacher, you need to make yourself the learner. You can't pretend that your way is the right way. You have to surrender to something bigger than yourself. And that is true for all of us. We cannot enter the kingdom. We cannot experience the kingdom. Even if we're in the kingdom, even if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, even if you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have an arrogant attitude, if you set yourself up to be the judge, if you set yourself up to be the authority, you will always create problems and you'll never experience the kingdom. Now, what are some examples of this? I know a number of churches, for example a number of church leaders 
who make themselves to be the heresy hunters. They kind of say, well, it's my responsibility to be the judge and to tell the world when, when a teacher is out, when I feel like they're heretical, when I feel like they're wrong, and, and they're constantly challenging other groups and criticizing and judging and pulling them down instead of approaching them with a humble attitude as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That's an attitude, of this, that's this judgmental thing. Or I know a lot of people who go around to churches and they'll go to a church and they'll say, well, you know, this church, it really needs to win me over. I'm not sure I'm going to trust it. I'm not sure I'm going to go for it uh, unless, uh, you know, I, I, I'm here. I'm going to look down on it. And if I decide that it's worthy for me, then I'll be involved with it. Now, most people aren't that arrogant about it. At least they're not that obvious about it. We find lots of nice religious things to keep us from doing that. Uh, but basically, the thrust is the same. So Jesus says, if you're going to come into the kingdom, you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself. It's kind of the, the, the next message. Uh, and then, um, you know, he, he, he challenged them. He said, now, when you give a dinner, when you do something like that, you know, don't just invite your friends or your brothers, your relatives, you know, so that they'll repay you and they'll invite you back and whatever but invite people who can't repay you. What he's talking about here, and obviously I'm skipping through this very quickly to get to the next parable, which is going to be the thrust. He's saying he's inviting people into the attitude of servanthood, the attitude of being a blessing to other people. So he's saying here, essentially, here's the kingdom. You need to humble yourself if you're going to be in the kingdom. Also, you need to realize if you're in the kingdom, it's so you can bless other people, not so you can bless to get a blessing, not so that, that uh, you can bless to get something in return. The idea is that you're here to serve others, to bless others, to, to uh, be kind to others, to do good for other people without expecting anything into return, in return. That's the attitude of the kingdom. That's the attitude of the kingdom. So you humble yourself and you seek to do good to other people without getting in any, any, anything in return. That's the attitude that you need to come into the kingdom. And then we get to where we're going to start focus, uh, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. What is this guy looking for? It's important to understand. He is looking ahead to the future kingdom of God. What has he done? He has missed the fact that the kingdom is here in Jesus. He's not caught this. So he's saying, hey, it is going to be great in the future when the kingdom of God is here and we can experience the kingdom, and we can all eat bread and celebrate and have a party in the kingdom of God. Oh, I can't wait for that day in the future. And Jesus, in this parable, is saying that day is not in the future. That day is here now. The kingdom is present, Jesus is saying again, as he tells this parable. He's saying this is the kingdom. This is a parable of the kingdom that is here now, not the kingdom that is in the future. 
Now the challenge here, a lot of times for catching this, is if you read the parallel, uh, there's a, a parallel parable in uh, Matthew, I think, uh, chapter 22, it's a different parable. It's talking about the future in terms of a wedding feast. And this is what a lot of people who study the scriptures, they often miss. Uh, I, I was reading a commentary on, the, on this passage, and it was comparing the, those two passages and saying that, well, basically they're the same thing. You know, it's just two different versions of the same teaching. And we have to remember that over the course of th three years, Jesus traveled around. He had meals with a lot of Pharisees all around Israel. There were a lot of occasions where he preached the word. Now, over the years, I have a tendency to tell a lot of the same jokes. Uh, and I'm always happy to be invited to a new place so I can tell the old jokes in the new place. You know, it's a great thing. I, I just love to do that. So I'll come back time and time to different stories and things I've told in the past that are really good. And you know what? Sometimes I use the same story to illustrate a different point in a different sermon. So if you would collect all of my sermons together and start comparing every time I told the same story, if you assumed that it was the same context every time, you'd be in error. And that's how people often approach the Bible. Instead of realizing that there are many different encounters over the course of three years, some of them would be very similar. We can't assume because they're similar, they're the same. Does that make sense? And so in this context, it's important to understand the point that Jesus is making, which is that the kingdom is here now. He's demonstrated it in the healing of the man with dropsy. And in the teaching, as one who has authority, do good, you can do good on the Sabbath. He's challenged people to be humble so they can enter the kingdom. And he's also challenged people with one of the basic ethics of the kingdom, which is it's about doing good to other people. It's not the blessing you get, it's the blessing you give uh, doing good. And this guy thinks, okay, you're talking about something in the future. Jesus is saying it's here now. And he tells this parable. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and invited many. And many had been invited into the, for the kingdom. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. So the kingdom is present. The kingdom is being compared to a great banquet, a great celebration. And people who had been invited, this was namely the Jews in this case, but for us, it would be everybody who's been invited into this. The word is, the message is, the time is fulfilled. What Jesus said last week in the Gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, the banquet, which is the kingdom, it's compared to the kingdom, the kingdom is ready for people to enter. The kingdom is ready now for people to come in. It's time now for people to come under the rulership of God. It's time now to see God's loving rulership extended around the world. It's time now to participate in the blessings of the kingdom, like the Spirit of God, 
the assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It's time now to know that God loves us. It's time now to experience forgiveness of sins. It's time now to, to be set free from demonic oppression. It's time now for all of this to happen, and that's why it's compared to a great banquet. It's compared to a great feast. It's time now to come in and experience all of the bounty that God has. It's time now to come in and experience the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promises over your life. It's time now to gather together with other banqueteers. I don't know if that's a word or not. It's time now to gather together with other banqueteers and experience together the celebration of the banquet, the celebration of the kingdom. The invitation is open, the time is now, and Jesus would say, repent, change your mind, open your mind, go the other direction and believe the time is now, the kingdom of God is present. And then, notice what happens. But they all alike, all the people invited, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Now that kind of sounds like a lame excuse to me. I mean, the field is going to be there tomorrow, right? You know, okay. Or, you know, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please let me be excused. Okay, well, maybe if you thought one of them was sick or something, uh, it still kind of, kind of feels a bit lame, but, you know, it's not for me to judge, right? Uh, and another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now that one sounds pretty legitimate. Right? I married a wife. We're having that happen here at City Temple this year. Uh, it's happening platitudinously. I don't know if that's a word either. But it's really fun. It, it's happening. And, but it's an excuse. It's an excuse. And this is the danger. We can always find an excuse not to enter fully into the kingdom. We can always find an excuse. And I think one of the things that breaks my heart, and I see this around the world, I see Christians who repeatedly come up with good-sounding excuses for not participating fully in God's loving rulership. And they sound good, but they're nothing more than an excuse. And so the question, that's the title of the sermon, what is your excuse? What is your excuse? I know a lot of times I've come up with a lot of different excuses. You know, you might have a good personal excuse. Well, I didn't feel well. Uh, or you might have a good religious excuse. You know, well, I, I don't really agree with the theology of that church, you know, that God wants me to go to. Uh, I agree with 90% of it, but 10%, it's really bad. I don't like it. Uh, or, you know, uh, we come up with 
nice spiritual sounding excuses. Well, I just want to, I just want to camp out, you know, and, and just soak up God on my own. That's why I like to go out to the countryside. I, I like to be out in nature, and that's where I really experience God. Nature is my church. I've heard that excuse dozens of times over the years. Uh, what's your excuse? If we make an excuse and we refuse to enter in, we miss the banquet. And we don't even really get to taste it. We don't even really get to taste it. We must beware of excuses. And we must search our hearts. I can't judge you, and I'm not even going to presume to judge anybody. I, I have a hard time judging myself. But I often ask myself, what's my excuse? Is the thing that I'm saying, does it, does it really pass muster? Or is it nothing more than an excuse? What's our excuse? These guys had great sounding excuses, but they missed it completely. They missed it completely. And I've seen Christians around the world who have great sounding excuses but at the end they miss it and they get to a point in their lives and they say well I never I never experienced what God had for me I'm so disappointed I, I, I you know how could God let me down and it really not God it's making the excuse God has prepared the kingdom for us and he has opened the door and he's given us the invitation, and we need to step in. I gave an illustration when I was preaching up in, uh, on the Isle of Lewis. Uh, Karen fixed a really excellent meal with some fresh fish, and the way she batters it and everything was just, oh, it's extraordinary. Very, very good. Uh, and I think it's a, a German style, uh, but uh, just was really great. And, uh, and how, you know, she prepared the meal for me, and then she said, Rod, come and eat. But then it's my dis choice, am I going to walk downstairs, sit at the table and eat, or am I just going to smell it, you know, and say, oh, that smells really good, but i got some other work to do, I'll skip the fish. And what am I going to do? Well, smart me, I get up and I go down and get the fish because I'm hungry and I want it, and I'm after it. Uh, it was interesting that after that sermon, everybody was going up to Karen and asking her for the recipe, but uh, I'm not sure if they got the point. I, I, you just never can tell. But that's what he's doing here. And of course, a lot of people didn't come in. They, don't, they were invited, but they don't enter. And so the great thing is, Jesus tells us more about the kingdom. He says, the servant goes out and says, okay, come in, everybody, the, lion, the lame, the blind, the sick, uh, the people who, who are smelly or dirty or whatever you're all invited come on in and it reminds us and it's so important that it doesn't depend on how good you are or how much you know or how good you look uh, or how hard you try that Jesus welcomes us all into the kingdom whether we feel like we're lame or we're blind or we're sick or we're crippled whatever it is we're all welcomed into the kingdom we're all welcome to experience the kingdom and even when we're all in there's always room for more there's always room for more 
We can always have more people, and so that's why we're invited to go out to the streets and say, oh, come on, people, come into the banquet. Come and experience all that God has for you. There's always room. It's never full. There's always room for more. And Jesus tells us so much about the kingdom in these verses. He challenges us to lay aside our excuses, to repent of our excuses, to step into the kingdom, to come into the banquet, to bring everybody. And don't be offended if you're sitting next to a lame, blind, smelly person. Because we're all, in a sense, kind of like that in our sin. And there's always room. So if you think there's not room for you, you're wrong. There's plenty of room there. But then he goes on and he issues the challenge. And this is where all the people are following him. And this is the challenge here. In addition to what's your excuse, the second question he really asks here is, are you willing to pay the cost? Because coming into the banquet, even though the banquet's free, even though the invitation is there, even though the door is open, there's always a cost. There's always a cost. Not that you pay for the banquet, God has already done that. But your cost is you don't do other things. If I go to a party, it means that I say no to every other opportunity that I had. I pay the cost of going to the party. I pay the cost of picking up that opportunity. So there's always a cost like that. There's always a commitment that we have to make. And so Jesus says something. He starts by saying something really challenging. Great crowds accompanying him. This is verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's a really hard word to hear. Hate. Is Jesus telling us to hate people? I thought about starting this sermon with this question by saying, I hate women. But then, you know, I thought that many of you might be so offended that you wouldn't listen to the rest of the sermon so I could explain what I was about to say. But there's a dynamic here. The day that I married my wife, I had a certain hatred for every other woman. In other words, there's no other woman that I can love like I love my wife. Not a single other woman. The day that I married my wife, I hated my mother. She didn't like it. But I hated my mother. Which meant, not that I didn't love my mother anymore, but that from that day forward, I always chose my wife over my mother. Always. There's there's no question about it. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying here, by this using this word hate, that the minute you say yes to Jesus, the minute you say, yes, I will be your disciple, I will follow you, in that minute you are saying no to the fact that you're going to follow your father, your mother. Uh, you're saying no to any excuse that you might give regarding your wife or your children. You're saying no about your brothers and sisters. You're saying no about even your own life. The day I said yes to Jesus was the day that I said, okay, Jesus, I go where you send me, not where I want to go. And thankfully, Jesus has often taken me places where I wanted to go, but not always initially. Oftentimes, he's had to change my heart for that. 
But I say yes to Jesus and I say no to my life being my own. Do you see what he's saying here? You have to count the cost. If you're going to enter this banquet, if you're going to enter the kingdom, you need to count that cost of that. And you need to pick up your cross and come after him. Now, what does that mean? In a sense, it means you need to crucify all of the attitudes and all of the desires that are in your life that set themselves up against Jesus, that make themselves contrary to Jesus Christ. He says, you need to count the cost and you need to be willing to pay the price. So anyone, verse 33, uh, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If you do not repent, if you do not turn from all of your own ideas, all of your own thinking about this is the way I want the world to work, this is the way the world has to work, this has to be the truth, this has to be my truth, this has to be the way I, I want to think, you have to be willing to say no to all of that to say yes to Jesus. And that's the cost of entering the kingdom. And it's a cost that a lot of people simply don't want to pay. And it's a cost that we pay over a lifetime, not in a moment. When I said yes to Jesus when I was 12 years old, I had no idea the fullness of the cost that I was going to pay. But every step of the way, I said, yes, I'm paying the cost, I'm paying the cost, I'm paying the cost. And that's the same thing that Jesus is saying to us. We have this amazing kingdom, this amazing banquet feast that we've been invited to, to share alongside one another in Jesus Christ, to experience all the blessings of God together in Christ Jesus. The banquet is not for us individually, it's for us corporately. We've been invited to this. And Jesus has said, come in it, humble yourself, be willing to do good to other people, enter in, the kingdom is here now, don't make any excuses, be willing to pay the price do it, follow me, turn away from everything else, turn to me and experience this fullness of all that I have for you. But beware, if you do not, then you lose your saltiness. You lose your ability to influence. I think one of the reasons why the church of Jesus Christ has lost a lot of its influence globally it's because people have not been willing to pay the cost and Christians have wanted to make excuses and they've not been willing to say, Jesus, I'm yours 100%, whatever you tell me, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours because you've invited me to this amazing kingdom banquet and I want to be in it. I want to participate in it fully. I want to have everything. And salt is an influencer. And when salt loses its influence, it's worthless. The church... Together we are influencers and God has called us to influence this world with God's loving rulership. And the most powerful thing that we can have, the most powerful testimony we have for a world is a group of people who have fully entered the banquet, not making excuses, humbling themselves, doing good in the world around them, fully committed to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so the question is for you today, is that the commitment of your heart? Jesus is inviting you to experience the fullness of his kingdom. And this commitment, this 
the invitation is not only for those who may have never surrendered their lives to Jesus, but it's for every single one of us, again, to surrender ourselves to Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Not only yourself individually, but it means a commitment to be part of this corporate banquet that is the kingdom of God. Father God, I pray that you'd stir in our hearts that we all, as a church, might count the cost, might not make excuses, might humble ourselves, seek to do good in whatever way you show us, and experience the banquet. Lord, I want to make no excuses. I want to experience everything that you have for me and for us together. Show us your kingdom. Show us your glory. Show us what an amazing God you are. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. Through Jesus Christ. Amen.